0: Hi everyone, my name is Connor Heffernan and welcome to another edition of the BSSH Sport and History Podcast and I'm very excited to be talking to two of the editors today of a new book called Football Nation, The Playing Fields of German Culture, History and Society. I'm joined by um, <coughs> excuse me, Alan McDoug- McDougall uh, and Oliver Knipe. This book was also edited by Bess Dawson and Bastian Heinzone. So Alan and Oliver, thank you so much for joining us today. I'll let you give your own introductions and we get to dig into the wonderful book uh, that you publish. Thanks, Conor. Uh,
1: yeah, so we have uh, published a, a new book on uh, German football, uh, the Football Nation, and, um, yeah, I guess it's really a, a history and a contemporary look at how the German football nation has evolved from uh, sort of the late 19th century to the present day. And um, yeah, what I like about it, I think, is uh, it's been an interdisciplinary collaboration. I'm a historian, and um, so it's been really cool to work with uh, literary scholars, people who work in communication, sociologists, philosophers. Uh, so there's this whole world of ways of thinking about German football that, frankly, I'd never thought about before.
0: And Oliver, to bring you in on that, obviously you're English and German. So how how is it, coming into something like this, which is so interdisciplinary and working in sport with German studies with all of these different people.
2: Well, first of all, uh thanks for having me. And then um I would say it's what it was actually um quite wonderful because um before this project started, we I didn't really have an idea who is out there, who is actually doing work on that. Uh, on on that kind of topic on football in German studies because that's my field in particular I've also taught in English uh, I've taught uh, courses on soccer on sports films and what have you um, but really uh, my focus uh, sports studies within German studies um, I was not really familiar with anybody or oh, very few people I should say um, that were actually doing work on that uh, the uh, my my impression was when I started with this. Um, that the vast majority of scholars that are producing, um, scholarship on, uh, German soccer, that they are historians. Um, and one of them we have here in the interview. Um, and so the majority of that scholarship that I read was written by historians, or at least the ones that I encountered. And I was always curious, um, who else is out there who is doing work on that and so we have uh in my field what's called the gsa the german studies association which is this major annual conference that happens in north america every year and when you look in their programs you see maybe every two three years maybe one panel on sports uh or that focus particularly on sports um and uh the other then you have like the occasional paper on sports, on football here and there uh, among thousands of different presentations. But that's about it. And so it didn't really give you an idea uh, who who is doing work there or who is who is out there do, doing work. And so the way this came about was actually uh, 2018. And this is also how uh, Alan and I met, where I just basically like in, with a fishing pole, just put a call for paper out there and was like, let's see who I can reel in, who, who who is on board. And Alan was one of the people responding. And the other two are the other two editors of this book, right? With uh, also very different uh, backgrounds, Um and so and we we liked the experience so much that we were like, okay, it's the four of us. Who else could we potentially interest? Right? Who else is uh, there that does the research? Who else would like to do the research? And so we just went with another call for paper for a bigger for a bigger um, format, which was a seminar at, at at a conference the following year in in Portland, and we had a really really good response from people that were soccer fanatics people that professionally worked in soccer um not as players obviously but um, we had uh people that are graduate students we had senior scholars uh like ellen so a vast like a good variety quite a diverse group of people um that uh came to play if you will um and uh presented their 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 work and it was just wonderful to kind of like pick their brains on what we were working on and hear what they have to do and so eventually from that emerged the idea all right since they're already there how about we just put it out as a volume because it was a really really productive and wonderful dialogue and uh it wouldn't make sense to keep that just in the in the space of a conference room, but actually make it uh, accessible and available to other people out there. Um, just in like terms to say, of Oliver
1: just, Oliver, just called me a senior scholar, so I'd I'd like to say that's uh, I don't know if that, I should say there's a compliment in some ways, but it makes me feel a little bit old. To be
2: it wasn't meant as an age reference. True. Doing.
0: I had to really fight the urge, um, Alan, to like just be like, Alan, what are your thoughts on? Like, yeah. you know, just chime in with the like the cheeky vulgar in the corner. Um yeah, but yeah. No, we, 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 we put thought the same series thing. Series mm. Yeah, I was like, ooh, kind of a bit catty. Um, yeah, seriously, put, put our serious. I'll take it as a compliment. It's, a compliment. My it's about, it's My about your steam and rich publishing record. Absolutely, Something come on, like Oliver. That. That's your one warning. That's it done. <laughs> You got, you got, you get one. um one. But yeah, in terms <laughs> yeah, of the book itself, like there's such a richness to it because obviously so you've, you've split it in like to really neat themes looking at sort of global histories and international cultural exchanges, otherness and exclusion, and then identity, class and gender. And then there's also like a political section looking at fandom and spectatorship. Like, did you have a sense when you're building the volume of what you wanted it to look like? Because there's such a diversity of themes, like both theoretically, methodologically, and then thematically within this. Like it's an it's an incredibly rich collection.
2: Yeah. Well, so we, first of all, that's that was our hope to kind of get a sense of like, who are p- these people in these various disciplines? And Alan has already kind of uh, pointed at some of them, right? Uh, people from communication studies, film studies, women and gender studies. Jewish studies, history, people that have a a, a background in social work and what have you. Um, So we were hoping that that's actually the kind of uh, group that we could um, convince to join us. And we got exactly that. In terms of the structure that you just presented in these four parts, um, we... We were actually struggling quite a bit throughout the process of the book when when we were putting it together to kind of figure out what that structure is supposed to be. So if you were to were to look at the early at the early stages uh, of our proposal, all the way to the end, it has changed in terms of its structure quite quite a bit. And it wasn't because we had a hard time figuring out um, ah this this essay doesn't fit at all or isn't that. It, that was not it. It was actually they all were in dialogue with one another. They were really in dialogue with one another that you could have come up with various versions of like how to put this thing together um and so eventually this is the, the one that we have is the one that we decided on, obviously, but um it could have looked it could have looked um very differently. And I would say one of the reasons why um we had that um we had that issue of like, how we're we going to basically put them together is because if they, they were all in dialogue because they came about in a dialogue, I would argue, because we were sitting in Portland at that seminar where we presented our work to one another for three days, listened to each other, helping each other out. Right. And so obviously through that kind of conversation, a literal conversation, not just the metaphoric academic conversation, but like a really literal uh, conversation in the room, these papers started to connect more and more. And all of a sudden uh, we were faced with like, how do we, how, how do we put them together? Because you could like, there, there are so many ways to, to, to think about this. Um, we have, which I'm really happy about quite a few uh, essays on East German, uh, or on East Germany and soccer in East Germany, um, which in my field is not ne- necessarily a given considering that West German um culture often takes uh like a, takes the pole position but we have a, a decent amount or a good, good representation of East, uh, East Germany it could have been an entire section in itself right if we have if we had approached it um historically um there is um uh there is for instance conversations um about uh art um or the relationship of art and and sport that is being picked up in a, in a chapter by uh by Bess Dawson when, when she writes about, about theater, right? Yeah. But we have later in, in the spectator section, we have uh somebody, um Dr. Holstein Kemper, writing about aesthetics, where he also talks about that relationship. And they're all in dialogue with one another in one way or another. Um, and so I think that was one of the. It was a nice struggle. It's a good struggle to have um, or to um, to figure out how do we put these together. But it was because the whole thing came about in a dialogue. I would argue.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I was thinking of. Um, uh, it's interesting. I'm uh, thinking about um, so both Oliver my my chapter. So East German football is kind of my background. I wrote a book on it, and um, so the chap my chapter's on the. Uh, sort of international history of East German football, which sounds like a bit of a contradiction in terms because East German football was famously insular. Um, and then Oliver's writing about um, uh, the memoir of uh, a former fan of the East German villain team, super villains, uh, Dynamo Berlin, uh, Andreas Glazer's uh, memoir, uh, BFC is to Blame for the Wall. So, I mean, we're in separate sections of the book in the end, but to me, it was really interesting because I'd, um, When I was doing research for my book, I'd actually interviewed Andreas Glazer um, in a pub in Prince Lauerberg. He didn't want to be on the record, and uh, he was kind of sick of people asking him about his East German experiences. Um, But, you know, I had had a bunch of questions that a historian would have about the history of um, BFC or Dynamo Berlin in the Stasi years and how they kind of dominated East German football. And um, anyway, I had a few drinks with him and um, that was that. And um, so it's really cool to actually see a sort of a literary critique of uh, Glazer's memoir, which I knew, but it kind of mined as a historian Mm -hmm. and then to see these cool ways of thinking about like uh, the use of like football spaces in his work. Yeah, it's a really good example of that sort of interdisciplinary approach. And as you know, with all collected volumes, there's always difficulties in... Bringing everything together is never going to be perfectly coherent, but I do think you're right, Oliver. A lot of it goes quite nicely together, and the, the interlocking parts could have fitted in different ways. So we could have had a section on East German football with you uh, and Kaylee Bang as I say on um, uh, East German women's football and cinema. So yeah,
2: yeah, it's uh, funny that you that you meant that you mentioned that because uh, that re- just reminds me when we were in Portland before the whole thing uh, started, before we actually set foot into uh, into the. Um, into the seminar room. Uh, I remember riding the elevator with Alan, and uh, I already w- was working on Andreas Gliazza's memoir, and I knew that Alan had done work on this because he has—he's he, been citing him quite a bit um, in in, uh, in one of his books. Um, and it was this moment where it's like you as the historian, like you have a like I realized he had a very different take on this, like how in a more playful way, like how how could you read it like this. Because mm. me as a literary scholar, I view it uh, view it that way, and so that was like we hadn't even started the conversation in the in, in, in the room, and, and all of a sudden, that kind of like different perspective on the same thing had already started on uh, on the elevator. So I'm not sure if you remember that one, but it was for me. It's like I do, um, yeah. I yeah,
1: I remember it was also the last conference before the pandemic shut down the world. So like Portland, in my mind, is this happy moment of when we had normality, which is maybe slowly returning. But anyway, uh,
0: by- Last conference before um, the pandemic was in Dundalk in Louth, which uh, it's a <laughs> lovely. It was a great conference. It's you know uh, women's sport in Ireland. is was a great, much-needed conference, but it, it didn't. As, as someone born in Dublin, Louth didn't have the same. Yeah, yeah. Boho hip. <laughs> the most glamorous location
1: for your final conference appearance before the pandemic. Yeah.
0: You're worth that because there was a point where I was like, "Is Louth really the last place that
1: <laughs> I'm ever going to give a conference?
0: I'm here. ever going to give a paper at?" Um, uh-huh. Probably should edit that out, but I'm I'm quite open about my uh, anti everywhere other than Dublin bias in Ireland. So looking at the like looking at your individual contributions because you've already talked about how they do actually speak to one another anyway. Mm. Like I am struck the the two papers that you've contributed here are sort of emblematic of this really rich theoretical vein within the within the collection, obviously with different takes. So Alan, I'm wondering maybe starting with you and mm-hmm. talking about you know the the global history that shouldn't be, you know, almost mm. in the sense of looking at East German football and the global history of it. I'm wondering if you can tease out, you know, what the chapter is about, yeah, wh- sure. where the difficulties as a scholar come with writing a global history of a place that necessarily yeah. might not have a global, you know, one would think wouldn't have a global history.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, it's, yeah, it's in the section where we talk about football and international cultural exchange. And um, you know, essays that sort of, uh, one that deals with sort of contemporary issues relating to sort of local fan identities in 21st century German football and transnational influences on the game. And then Thomas Adams chapter, which kind of looks at the, the quite fabled origins of German football and the, the exchanges with English school teachers and businessmen and students and all that. And so East Germany is a bit of an outlier because, it, it yeah, it, it's not really seen as having much of an international presence in football, at least now. We all know the Olympic history here. And for those who are senior scholars like me, uh, we remember that history directly growing up with it um, and hearing that East German anthem at all the Olympics. Um, and, And I think the sort of stereotype about East German football uh, and this speaks to what Oliver mentioned earlier, which is to me, and I was struck by this at a conference that I went to. Now we're going back to them in uh, Germany in the summer. The sort of still Western centric focus of, of German football history and contemporary sort of German studies. You know, there's, there's still very little on the East, uh, particularly if you leave out RB Leipzig, which probably doesn't really count anyway. Um, more on that later, maybe. Um, but, um, so I, I was trying to just kind of almost, I called it, I think, an in introduction, sort of a bit of a revisionist take on East German football, where um, I point out that East Germany was very much part of what dear old FIFA would call the football family, um, and was, you know, quite good at politicking in um, in FIFA and UEFA and other international organisations, and that particularly in the sort of the global South, the, the East Germans made quite a conscious attempt to um, use football as a sort of a, a bit of a diplomatic tool, a soft power tool. The difficult thing is there's not really much written about it, I don't think, and um, there's not much too much evidence on it. Um, but anyway, so that was kind of what I was trying to do, was to sort of suggest ways in which East German was actually much more international than people tend to think. Not always successful, but perhaps not as unsuccessful as people thought.
0: And within that, I suppose, studying, like it seems like there's a studying of absences mm. in that to a, to a certain extent. How does one negotiate that? Because obviously, there are documents that maybe one would like to exist that maybe don't exist yeah. or they're, they're difficult to get on especially i'm thinking of like conversations around you know with the global south there were conversations that would have been off the record in which deals with struck, etc as a historian how does one approach the the global history without maybe necessarily the yeah the smoking gun it's probably not the best race for East Germany,
1: but hey. No, maybe not. Uh yeah, yeah, that takes us to, to to the guard towers on the Berlin Wall, maybe. But um yeah, I, it's a little tricky because the um the, the so the sources tend to be, I mean, the, it tends to be these East Germans giving their reports on their trips to Tanzania or elsewhere. And so it's a very one-sided view. It's a bit of a problem with East German sources generally. We have so many sources that came out of the collapse of communism in East Germany. Um but they're all state directed, right? So even when you're getting the Stasi reporting on public opinion, it's still the Stasi's take on public opinion. So, I mean, one way around that has been a little bit of oral history, but that's been, was more difficult in this case, Um, as I don't have contacts in those places. So yeah, I think probably being a little cautious in some of the formulations, and I kind of suggested actually that it would be a great area to research. And, and people have started to do that with East Germany to look at its kind of Quite ambitious projects in the global mm-hmm. south, particularly in a lot of African countries, um, in Asian countries as well. There's actually some quite interesting literature on that now. And like looking, I think, at East German's football ambassadorial role would be um, uh, something great for a, a younger scholar to do. See, I'm referencing scholars' ages again.
0: It's, it's really, uh, <laughs> re- it's really hard to, I think, at a, at a visceral level as well. To it's, it's a,
1: I don't know how I'm going to recover, to be honest.
0: But anyway, yeah. yeah. At least a pint, or you know, some some sort of goods basket sent out by Oliver. Yeah, I think it was, is the only.
1: You can buy me a pint when we next meet up.
0: Okay. Yeah, there you go. that sounds very good. And moving then, Oliver's side to your um, chapter, which is coming at it from like a very literary perspective. Which you know, as a sort of luddite historian, um, I always admire literary approaches. But I just I'm, I was never trained in that style. And I think a lot of historians, possibly speaking to what Alan said earlier, you sort of mine it in a certain way without thinking about like the production of the book or as like or as the memoir as a living breathing document. So I'm wondering how how was your approach to the memoir and what did that entail? You know, for a historical audience, what did the handling of that in a scholarly sense um entail?
2: So um I I, I was kind of prepared for that question um and still I don't know quite how to how to go about go about it. Um the so, the first thing for anybody who's listening to this, this since this is not a visual medium, um as we're recording this, I'm wearing an, a Union Berlin hat, um which is um the only Bundesliga team currently from East Germany, former East Germany p- playing in the in the first division. Um, and I'm my chapter is on BFC Dunamo or BFC, which is that uh, the Stasi team from then. And so the first question, the first first thing, was like, how do I approach this? It was like, how do I get these uh, Union goggles off? Uh, and all the knowledge that I had had from my family members that have gone to Union doing the GDR, and all the stories that are out there that basically through collective memory have basically made it into the twenty first century, and all the stories about BFC. How do I? Use them in a meaningful way without basically falling into the fandom kind of like trap. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was the first cha- that was the first challenge. Um, the other thing um, that uh in terms of like how do I go about looking at this, um, not just from like a purely historic perspective, but from a literary perspective. As you said, like that—that's what I was—that's what I was trained in, and that was was my elevator argument with Ellen was about. I was like, um, clearly, this is aut- an autobiography. An autobiography is uh, truth and lies, right? It's uh, it's, uh, it's 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 uh, it's fiction and some truth to that. And so we got to be careful. And so that was like kind of what our conversation was about. How do how do we take? Can we take everything seriously the way it's being, it's being portrayed? And so, um, what is the what is the chapter about? Let's let's go, let's let's start with that. Um, it's about uh, this guy Andreas Glaser, um, and his view on the GDR ab- about ten years after it had collapsed, uh, after the uh, uh, Iron Curtain had come down, um, and he's looking back at the GDR, but also reflecting on the time. After the, the wall had come down, and what that was like for, for East Germans. And um one of the things that I'm trying to point at is um when this West this discourse about the GDR, which is very much dominated by West German uh scholars or West German perspectives, I should say. Um What often is being reduced to is some sort of like Stasi land, right? The idea of captivity and that kind of thing. And so what I was trying to do is to um, show that there's more to that. And then these these autobiographies or these memoirs, they actually lend themselves to it because they don't just look at uh, the GDR as a political space, which it clearly is, and you have to talk about that, but they also talk about it as a personal space. And that's where a lot of East German citizens basically draw a line, right, Um, where they say, I um, I agree that what the Stasi had done, the uh, or the the spying and all these things that we see and uh, that we see in media. I mean, Netflix is producing one thing after another about the Stasi, and it's all kind of like in the same vein. But that was not just life for East Germans. There was way more to that, right? And so um, by dismissing by dismissing the GDR solely as a political uh, entity, you are uh, undoing a lot of what their identity uh, really consists of which is the 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 private the personal the memories that they have uh, made um with their families with their friends and what have you right and so um that's kind of like one of the things um that I'm that I'm focusing on kind of making making sure um that that we understand where some of that nostalgia or as they would say eastalgia right the nostalgia for the east where that is coming from that it is not a longing for you know Mm -hmm. having the stasi back having the the wall back um and how does it relate to football because glazer was a bfc fan once again that was my biggest challenge here um how do how do i deal with that but after after reading it it was actually quite quite my, my 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 literary uh scholar background was actually allowing me to kind of like Take that, like, ignore that part, and like get the emotions out of it, and actually read him as somebody who was just mourning some of the mourning some of the uh, things that were lost on the way, right? Um, and he was still very critical of the GDR because what what makes him interesting as a as a case study is the fact that uh, he he uh, in the very late stages of the GDR actually left. He basically uh, was allowed to leave the GDR and went to West Berlin. Um, then the wall fell. And then after a while he realized it was not, the West was not all that cracked up to be. And uh, what, what uh, and so he went back, he went actually back to East Germany and went back to BFC. Right. And so, um, that, that is, uh, kind of what, what, what I was interested in. And then how, how does football play into this? Like what is, how does football play into an East German identity and what role does football then play, um, Later, uh, once the wall had come down for him and his identity and all the things that kind of went wrong with reunification from an East German perspective, right? Just to remind uh, those of you who are not East German scholars, but a lot of people had left um, uh, for West German opportunities, right? They looked for, for, for jobs elsewhere. And so East Germany was, well, former East Germany was hemorrhaging workforce. And it was just, it was it was not an easy time. Unemployment was rampant and so on and so forth. Um, and what role does football play in all of this and what 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 is the stadium particularly what is it like uh wh- how does he see or view the stadium in that very difficult period and what 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 do east german soccer fans particularly bfc fans how do they use the stadium to kind of like go about the the conflicts that they're seeing after the fall of the wall so that's kind of like in a nutshell what 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 that chapter what that chapter is about
1: um, i should just add i should just add kind of that uh, i was quite impressed by how um you took off the uh, Union glasses for your essay, Oliver. I remember reading first drafts and I thought you could actually play up the villainy of BFC a bit more here. Like, um, you know, like, like it's, Connor, it's like you or uh, I writing essays about Manchester United, you know, it's like, oh, I don't do that very easily. But I, I was kudos for for keeping a scholar's neutrality because um, um, difficult subject matter, I think.
0: Uh, and I mean, we wouldn't write angry essays, we just write angry tweets. Well, at least that's certainly what I do. <laughs> I well, you've got a week left to do it. So yeah, that. exactly. Yeah, I use a yeah. I use a burner account, and it's just you know <laughs> just like pra- praising Ronaldo's interview at Piers Morgan and saying that yeah, more players, absolutely. more new yeah. players, need to do it. I like think a
1: principled stand. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's interesting in both of your articles. Just looking at, I know that the book is. About so much more than you know. say just the East German football experience, like it's a, it's a really broad sweep of mm. football in Germany from like the 1870s to really the present day, and we will go into that a bit more in a second. But it's really interesting to how you both look at the mediation of football within East German society from different perspectives. And it seems like you know, Alan, in your perspective, like we have the state apparatus trying to get a handle on football and what that might mean. In a political sense, you know, dealing with the global south, dealing with other countries, dealing on an international stage. And then Oliver, in your sense, it's the citizens trying to mediate football with a sense of self and a sense of identity. So it's interesting in both cases, we see different groups or different agents trying to use the sort of leisure object that's continually in flux to add stability to something.
1: Yeah, I, that's actually so well put, Connor. I wish we had that line in our book. Actually, that's actually
0: quite good. I, I yeah. thought I'd lost myself for two set two sentences wow. in there, so I was like, okay, good. good, we well, we good. brought it back. Okay, good. Um, feel well, feel good. free to feel free to steal. Um, okay, we will in future. Okay, there we go. So yeah, looking then at the sort of broader scope of the book, because I know you both have sort of read every chapter within it, but you would have had a, a stronger relationship um, with others. So maybe can we start to get a flavour of some of the other chapters in the book because. Like as someone who isn't a, a German scholar, um, it just enjoys the lifestyle. Um, Like the, <laughs> the breadth and scope of this is absolutely incredible because, you know, you're dealing with late 19th century to the present day, you're dealing with, you know, warfare, you're dealing with antisemitism, you're dealing with East versus West, you're dealing with the new sort of mm. me- me- mega industry that football is. Like there's so much going on within this collection. And I'm wondering, can you maybe, maybe beginning with Oliver and then moving on to Alan, Give a sampling of some of the chapters that you looked at, and what what they had to say on whatever field or topic you know that they're focused on.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I don't even know which which one I want to start with because it was it was a pleasure working with uh, all of our contributors, and it was like I said, it was a dialogue. And these papers, like we saw them, what they were initially, and what they had them become. We're really proud of the work that they that they have done. Um let's say like let me start with um with one chapter um that was um uh, written by uh doctor zambone from the new uh, university of new hampshire um because it was one of those um chapters that looked at one of the biggest more recent controversies in german football which is the mesut özil uh debate when he resigned um from the from the german national team mm. um um, and doing so in a rather interesting way through social media in English, right? Like his resignation was written in English. Um, and it was accusing German officials and all kinds of other entities within the soccer association, but also in a way, also Germany on a, on a broader scale uh, uh, of racism. And um, all of that happened after he had uh, been um showing, like taking pictures with, uh, with the president of Turkey, Erdogan, um, and, uh, presenting him with a shirt and, um, yeah. And that was, that was a big, big debate. And one of the things, um, that, uh, Dr. Zambon did, uh, really wonderfully. So her background is in, um, communication studies. And so she did a discourse analysis of, of the media and of the, of the public conversation. So what politicians have to say, but particularly, um, what, what the German media, um, and from tabloid to more serious newspapers, what, what their responses was. And, um, what The way she presented it, I thought was really interesting because the, the response was overall um, an immediate, like kind of a knee jerk reaction that was rejection and counter offensive, right? They're taking the accusation from Urzil and turning back and going against him or just dismissing and ignoring it entirely and just uh, focusing on, uh, on him as a untalented soccer player because supposedly he was the worst during the previous World Cup and all, all, all of that and so um she she does a really great job kind of showing how german society on a, on a, 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 within the public how it operates and how this um and, uh how the um dominant uh, part of society so and when i when we talk about soccer it's a very gendered kind of field but like how how they responded um how especially white men responded right she uses the word uh, uh white supremacy in, uh, in in her essay um which I applaud and uh she kind of like shows what uh how they're trying to maintain or repair she actually uses the word repair that image that was just destroyed by uzil's accusations or that at least was was about to be destroyed because the the self, Conception of Germany at the time, this collective conception was of a rather progressive kind of multi-multicultural society, and here he comes and kind of seems to claim the exact opposite, and that doesn't work. And that, and so what she calls a uh, hege- uh, hegemonic um, repair is really the attempt to undo that damage that they perceive had been done by Uziel and his, and his accusation. And she kind of like shows us really n- nicely what kind of techniques and mechanisms are at work in fixing that, right. To get, mm-hmm. getting back to that kind of image um, that we as a nation think we, sh- we should have. Right. I mean, imagining a nation is always a construct um, and rebuilding that kind of like uh, 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 image um, and how the media did that, how, um, uh public personas like soccer players or politicians, how what they did and uh and how they went about that. And so um I think that is one of those essays. Um, um and I think they're all wonderful, but that that is one of the essays that could potentially be very interesting for anybody um who is interested in the relationship between um um yeah, aspects of race and football, but also um we have more and more um uh, autocrats getting involved in soccer and what that can trigger what those um what those kind of um dynamics between football and uh autocrats like erdogan or um now more recently we had a situation with a with an autocrat the uh hungarian autocrat um like how how how, how these how society responds and like while rereading her essay again um uh, recently there was a situation uh in germany where um where a where where the hungarian president uh showed up of uh, viktor orban where he showed up to um uh Union Berlin I must say the team that I did I do support where he showed up all of a sudden and had another round of photo shoot with one of our uh, uh players who is a national player for, for Hungary and what was interesting to observe was that all of there were responses there was criticism of the club but there was not nearly as much of a um knee-jerk public re- response to that that would eventually basically condemn a, a person and like uh, they that they they, uh, they did with Özil, but the dynamics were very similar in terms of how the event came about, but the response was different. And so, reading her essay and like reflecting on contemporary moments and where, because this is not going to be the last time that stuff like that happens, it's it, it helps to kind of like reflect on on those kind of moments and and try to understand or helps us understand potentially why. Why do we re- react in that kind of way? Why do we not react in the same way as, you know, we did with Ozil? And so um, that that would be one of the papers um, that I think can be particularly interesting for a lot of people, because it's a conversation that was um, very well broadcasted all over. And that a lot of people, even if they're not necessarily fans of soccer, that they might have heard about. And that's, uh, I think it can be interesting for a lot of people.
1: It's, it's interesting. Sorry, I was going to say it's interesting as well to think about the... Um... That Oliver mentioned there the sort of the the modern perception of the German football nation which I think both internally in Germany and maybe as you're alluding to earlier Conor like abroad like that there is this kind of positive vibe around sort of 21st century German football you know the Bundesliga is cheaper you can have beer and uh, you don't have to turn away from the stadium to, to have a beer and you can do it in peace and the atmosphere is great and its tickets are relatively cheaper and it's got Relative to the history of most other of European countries, progressive attitudes on women's football and so on and so forth. So it's kind of interesting to see bumps in the road like the Özil case as a reminder, which the essays across the um collection suggest that there is no single German football nation here, and in fact there are multiple histories and representations over decades and centuries, and um, it's a very fluid and slightly unstable concept, I think. And uh, so the Özil case is kind of a it's an interruption. That sort of quite self-congratulatory narrative that you're also seeing Germany, I think, pushing in its strident opposition to the Qatar World Cup, which, in some respects, obviously is to be applauded. But I think that you know the, like, that like there's sometimes some some problems and hypocrisies in this, and the Erzal case, I think, speaks to that. Anyway, yeah. sorry, Clark, go ahead.
2: But but if I may just add to that, in terms of that, because you mentioned the hypocrisy, one of the things that we also mention it's not particularly in one one of the chapters, or it's not the. Core of one chapter, but in our introduction, we actually also talk about that kind of hypocrisy because the people, especially within the national team, that criticized USIO heavily for that, then later came out in other social justice debates yeah, and um, yeah. were all of a sudden um, supporters of uh, I don't know Black Lives Matter movement, yeah,
1: rainbow armbands and yeah, yeah, uh, yeah
2: in the mm-hmm. conversation about LGBTQ uh, yeah. communities, right? And so, um, so that's where, where 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 it becomes very clear that it is is a construct and that not not everything is like a kind of like a straightforward uh, um, picture as we would like it to be, and so um, yeah, the easier case is just one of these that has basically um, ruptured that image quite a bit. And like I said, the the, the concept of self-repair—how does a nation go about this? How does it respond? It was it was intriguing to me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, as a as a theoretical construct that bleeds into other fields, like it's interesting. The idea of self-repair because obviously in english football there's very um pointed examples of say some of the tory uh, responses to marcus rashford and people trying to advocate for school meals even in the united states looking at the now uh, potentially overstudied colin kaepernick yeah. um, case and how, how a nation tries to come to grips and what sport means in that because sport is meant to be a political it's meant to be the people's game in germany there's meant to be a good vibe around it, sort of as you both alluded to. And Germany also played into that sort of, you know, melting pot is now a very outdated term, but certainly from the 2000s onwards, there was a sense of we've used football to integrate, we've used football to, you know, re- really ingratiate different communities. And then as I, that rupture and how how emotive the, the response can be is absolutely fascinating. And it's not unique to German football, but... The Ozo case is obviously potentially more interesting because of his then his links to an autocrat. Mm-hmm. The, the, there's so much texture, I think, to that particular story.
1: Yeah, remember, you know? It reminds me there's another interesting parallel is with the French national team, right? Because I think yeah, France sort of traded on the sort of multicultural nature of its team, particularly around the 1998 World Cup triumph, and then when everything, you know, went to pieces at subsequent World Cups, uh, the mask slipped quite quickly. So I think there's interest and and uh, the, the, the black players and ethnic minority players in the French squad were pretty vir- virulently targeted by the French media, say, around 2010 World Cup. So I think that, you know, there are moments in these histories where we like to present progressive narratives, the penalty shoot out at the end of Euro 2020, meaning 2021 being another good mm-hmm. example you alluded to, where you know, kind of you know, the mask slips and we're reminded that this sort of progressive self-image is is not unproblematic. And um, and of course, you know, to tie to history, as obviously that's kind of my job in the collection, you know, that that that's this kind of um, self-repair in the German nation through football is obviously not something that begins in the 21st century. I mean, that takes us right back into the earlier, darker decades of German football too.
0: And I suppose shifting then um, to some of the chapters that you would have had Ownership is too strong a term, but as a a senior uh, academic as part of this project, Alan, I'm just interested in, you know, the wealth of experience that you would have brought to your editing um, of chapters and if there's any that you thought um, would be a nice illustration for people.
1: Well, yeah, I worked with the um, other established scholars on some of the earlier chapters. We worked on older uh, pieces of history. Um, You you see a theme here.
0: Which for you would have just been… Childhood memories, I presume. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They just
2: log out at this point. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I'm going to go back to when I was young in the Weimar Republic. No, um, yeah. So what what was interesting to me about the um, sort of early chapters, and here I'm thinking um, in particular about. Thomas Adams' uh, sort of history of the early years of German football, which for German audiences is quite a well-known story, perhaps a bit less so for, for non-German audiences. And then Kai Schiller's chapter on uh, Willy Meisel, the superstar journalist of sort of um, Weimar Germany, so 1919 to thirty three. I mean, what we, we, we talk about this in the introduction, but I, I'm really interested in this idea of... Um, like that how different the German football nation looked, particularly as we mentioned in the introduction, like you look at the first, like until really 1954, like our modern stereotype of the German football nation is sort of all conquering successful. And now, as we've been discussing progressive and multicultural, I mean, it's just not present, right? Germany's um introduces footballers, as Thomas Adams chapter shows, um with considerable resistance. Um, It comes in through the schools, and is sort of a way to sort of bring discipline and team spirit to certain schools initially in the city of um, Braunschweig. And it's from the beginning, as he shows a very divided um, idea in Germany, there's this famous hostility of certain uh, German sports practitioners associated with the Turnen or gymnastics movement, who just don't like football at all, the famous first iteration of the English disease, uh, which comes to take different forms later. Um, And then, as as Thomas shows, there's this kind of division between um, a more conservative football nation, which is um, football clubs that really develop as sort of spin-offs of the the gymnastics movement. And they're the clubs that really form the basis for the DFB, the German Football Association, when it's formed in 1900. Then there's a whole other subculture of sort of socialist football clubs, which kind of continue to exist until the Nazis come to power. So that's really interesting. Then the other interesting thing related to sort of Kai Schiller's chapter in particular on Willy Meisel is, well, a couple of things really. One is just how much football by the 1920s had become central to sort of mass culture in Germany. Um, and, you know, I think you know, a lot of the sort of histories of the Weimar Republic will talk about, I don't know, Bertolt Brecht writing about boxing and, and cinema and all of these things. But like football was arguably the national sport by the end of the 1920s already in Germany. Um, So Kai's chapter talks a lot about Lilly Meisel's sports journalism and and just kind of what a sort of centerpiece culturally of sort of German media culture that was, and he talked a lot about football. But the other interesting thing here, in terms of the football nation, is that you know Germany's still a bit crap at this point, and the, the real football nation at this point is is actually Austria, probably in terms of kind of its global reputation. Uh, and of course, the Meisel brothers, Villian uh, Hugo, uh, are Viennese Jews, and so there's this brings in the element of race into kind of German history and the ge- history of the German football nation as well. And uh, we don't actually, funnily enough, have a chapter dealing specifically with the Nazi period and um, the German football nation. I think partly because that's we wanted to focus on areas that have been less studied. But um, all of these things, I think, foreshadow some of the um, difficulties and exclusions that that will happen when the German football nation is Nazified after 1933.
0: And in terms of looking at, say, um, Willie Meisel and sport journalism, how intern and again maybe actually going back to say your your approach to the global history like how international is sports writing for Willie Meisel at that time because obviously say looking at English and American don't ask me why uh, wrestling uh, journalism in the nineteen twenties there's a lot of the same tropes there's referencing sort of outside of the country there's picking up on metaphors that someone would have used you know across the Atlantic in terms of you know Willie Meisel or just maybe sports journalism in, in that interwar period. Like, how localised is it? How outward-looking is it? Like, are they in dialogue with other people? Just, if you can comment on that. Yeah,
1: I mean, I mean I'll mean, i try and speak for Kai, and he can correct me later and tell me if I'm wrong. But it, it's interesting. I mean, what he shows, I think, uh, very clearly, is Misel is part of this sort of, international network of football journalists coaches administrators who do a bunch of things right they're the guys who drive the founding of fifa the expansion of fifa the first world cup uh the Mitt roper cup this sort of forerunner of the european cup and champions league um and the meisel brothers are front and center in that so i think Willy meisel is a, i mean a lot of the journalists writing he does in the 20s is in germany but he obviously still has a lot of contacts with um Austria um he goes on um then to, to build a lot of contacts with the the Anglo-American sporting world particularly with Britain which is where he goes after the Nazis come to power so I think there is this international network of um, sports journalism that's beginning to build up and they're beginning to meet at FIFA congresses and elsewhere so I think this sort of transnational sports media culture is um is developing quite quickly and I was blown away reading Kai's essay about how many sports newspapers there are in Germany by the late 20s, something like 360 or something, like all just dealing with sport, obviously many of them dealing with football. Um, so yeah, I think like if we're thinking about the birth of a football nation where football is kind of becoming central to it, that, that Weimar period is pretty important.
0: And looking at, I suppose, the the birth of the football nation, as it just alluded to, the introduction, which is trying to tie it all together, you know, as half of the editing team like what were the the main themes, the main areas? I suppose when you oversaw this, that you thought like this, th- this is how we're going to tie this together for the reader. Like how, how did you approach the introduction where you're trying to like this? Arguably, the introduction is the hardest bit of the edited collection because you break it into subsections, but then it's trying it's trying to create the the grand narrative around this whole body of work.
1: I'll go ahead with that one. Um... As I so sort of tried to, I mean, I think the way I tried to do it was um, in the, the historical sections, which I was thinking about initially um, before we kind of um, brought our eyes to, ideas together, uh, was to think about the ways in which uh, the, the various essays reflect on um, different stages of and different parts of history of the. Of the evolution of a German football nation, if you like. Um, and we open with three quotations from sort of different eras of German football that kind of capture sort of, they sort of time captures of German football. One is a famous sort of anti-English football cre- scre- screed from the uh, late 19th century, early 20th century. Then there's one from after the famous 1954 World Cup Miracle of Bern victory over um, Hungary, where there's a sort of a way of sort of trying to use football as a sort of a to to kind of recreate a usable German past and present. Um, And then, of course, there's 2006, which is, you know, the kind of the beginning, in a way, of the very highly marketable mythology around a new version of the German football nation that is um, progressive and multicultural, where there's fan parties in the streets. And um, so I think the introduction was trying to sort of bring together, like, how do we get from this sort of initial hostility towards uh, the English disease, via this sort of using football to, to to kind of help to rebuild the nation to some degree via 1954 uh, to this more progressive and all-encompassing um, vision of the German nation that, that we now have in the 21st century and and it and it, also, it is always difficult to do that right and I think there's no edited collection where the introduction manages to sort of bring everything together seamlessly. Um, but I think trying to show the richness of that history of the German nation you know and the, and also the variety of ways in which it's portrayed, which is interesting here you know like the the various media like there's there's like best dawson's chapter is writing about avant-garde theater in the 1920s weimar which is talking about football quite in quite a lot of detail and um, then we've got like a sort of um football musicals from east germany which are dealing with the the problematic issue there of of the sort of negation of women's football and treatment of women's football so i think trying to the, the historical evolution, which is obviously where I was kind of focused, but also just this variety of media where football is tackled and problematized, is, is something we try to get across. I think.
2: Yeah, if I if I can add to that, so we were like obviously it was a the the introduction is um, a historic kind of like a, we have or like a chronological approach, like we look, we're going through history. Um, we're adding, as uh, Ellen just said, we're adding also um, the various uh, artistic kind of like depictions of football or how art, um, relates to, to the, to the game. Um, but one of the things that I, like, w- w- I think we were also trying to do is, um, besides the usual, like an introduction needs to basically tie everything together as, as well as it can. Um, but we were also trying to kind of like, um, provide a short text that is not just that, but more so, um, for anybody who, um, is interested in football scholarship in Germany right and it's just a, a, a my, in, in the in the field of German studies it's just emerging I feel because again historians have done this for a while but within just German studies itself as a cultural studies um uh Focus or with the cultural studies Focus we're just at the beginning and I think what this chapter does really well is kind of anybody who is new to the game who wants to um wants to uh know what what is out there what is potentially what could be studied or studied that this chapter actually allows them to kind of get a really good overview. I think that's what 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 the what this chapter does. so it's not just tying together the chapters of the book but also giving an, a, a larger overview of uh, of German soccer and things that you can um potentially um, look into and i've already had uh, conversations with scholars that had were uh, approaches like i want to do something with soccer what do i do and they immediately like they found because the first chapter is available i think available free online uh the introduction and that immediately uh, found that found that uh, chapter to be very useful so for any educators out there that have students or anybody who is really who is a soccer fan is done with their dissertation is like what's next i want to do something with my with my hobby what what have people written about? What gaps exist? What could I potentially contribute? I think um, the, the chapter itself is um, uh, a really good starting point. And um, but it was not the only way we kind of framed the book because the other, the other, um, the other part of that frame is our conclusion that was not written by us, the editors, um, but it was written by uh, another senior scholar, uh Tim Tim Beichelt, um, who uh has written a lot on 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 soccer he has published books but particularly in german um and he kind of like also tries to kind of wrap the whole book up by like what's what 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 does what does what role does soccer play right in germany like in in general and so he's looking at this kind of like um perspective of what what's what staples or what kind of main factors do we have in life like the nation is a concept that uh, that is important to us the family is a concept that's important to us um for many people church and all of a sudden throughout that 20th century i mean obviously it started already earlier but a lot of those factors a lot of those stable factors started breaking away and where does soccer go into that, right? So he provides a larger, kind of bigger picture um, look at it. And that's how we conclude it. So the introduction is a great way to kind of like get a sense of, hey, what's the book about? But what is German soccer about? What is out there? Um, and then we have a more broader kind of conclusion of what what is its role? What is its function at the very end? Hmm.
0: And I suppose as we start to wind down, I think you've already touched on it, but just to uh, make it more explicit, as someone entirely ignorant uh, to the field of German studies, um, which may shock you as someone who looks at naked men and women as part of their research. Um, <laughs> like, There's
1: plenty of them in the early history of German sport, I think.
0: Yeah, actually, sidebar for a second. One of my proudest moments my PhD was uh, finding a nudist uh, magazine and sending my PhD advisor a nude photograph of his favourite Irish athlete who, unbeknownst <laughs> to us, was a nudist. And I got a response being like, never Never ever send me those type of photos ever again. I was like it was yeah. research. Um, but yeah, in terms of like some of the new themes, like just looking at studies of German scholarship. What are some of the the new approaches or new areas that emanate from this book? Because it is so interdisciplinary, and it's drawing together people who maybe necessarily wouldn't typically be in the same room talking to one another.
2: Um. So i mean i mean once again like i said historians have been have been there for for a while they have, they they have a pretty good uh, grasp on, on 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 soccer um but i think in terms of uh soccer football sorry i just realized i'm using them both now um uh as, as 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 a literary uh as something that literary scholars uh look into there is i mean people have done it it's just not something sp- sports literature is probably has some sort of stigma to it. it might not be necessarily considered uh high art and so in a conservative field that is uh that is germanistic i should say that's actually where where, where i started um german studies is starting to open up a little bit right with the more cultural studies approach but um like lit- like literary approaches to to football i think there is a lot of um, room for improvement there um and so my essay is just one of hopefully many more that are uh that are going to come um film studies i mean soccer films they they have been they have been looked at for, uh, for a while but um for instance of the the um the film that kaylee banger is writing about um has like in terms of in terms of um like a, a cultural studies approach not histo- historical approach because Ellen has written about uh don't cheat uh, darling before but um as a as a cultural uh, approach that looks at like looks at these films through feminist theory for instance mm-hmm. that hasn't been done there either so gender studies women and gender studies um can um can I think have have lots of room um to develop in that in that field and that is something that I think um or I'm hoping that we can see soon I'm looking forward to seeing more articles on that. the other thing um which is we only again these collections they have a limit it's not we cannot include anything but um, in terms of uh anything that has to do with lgbtq right and football i mean if you think about it there has till this day not been a single uh active footballer in german football professional football who um vol- uh, has come out um uh publicly and when that happens it usually happens once the career is over there is something going on there there is the uh um the always that the kind of like stigma of women's football, um, uh, when it comes to like there is immediately an idea of uh, sexuality attached to that, in, in in the German discourse, these kind of conversation I think need uh, deserve more attention. Um, we address some of it in, in, in a certain point, but I think our collection is only just a starting point. And that is actually my hope for the book in general in the field. We haven't seen a interdisciplinary kind of like conversation in form of a book since I think the World Cup in Germany 2006. so in English there is a lot done in outside uh in, in, in German right and like written in German but if you do, if you don't speak German you kind of left out of the discourse. So um and, and uh, our book is trying to like opening that up. But only as um, I view it as a starting point, I, I know of graduate students who are doing fantastic work on a lot of these topics right now. And my hope is that uh, that the field will grow through that. But those those topics, especially anything that is in relation to social justice, I think, um, deserves a lot of attention and is worth uh, investigating. So um, that would be my answer here.
1: There, Oliver, you're setting us up for a, a volume two here, we'll just find a cool okay. venue for conference. Connie, you can come along and facilitate and um and then we'll do a, a volume two and, and cover all these areas which you're right we haven't quite managed to do.
0: Loud? Louth
1: sounds fantastic.
0: Yeah, okay. So Alan <laughs> it's lovely at this time of year. It's yeah, pre-pandemic, it's absolutely uh it's <laughs> absolutely wonderful. Um Alan, as the established uh sen- senior senior fellow in, in the Zoom room, um mm-hmm. I'll give you the, the final word uh, before we um head off and I'll just remind Listeners that this book has just come out, it's October twenty twenty two, I think I'm right in saying. And again, the title is um Football Nation, the Playing Fields of German Culture, History and Society. I'll put in the show notes the link to the book and the, the blurb to the book as well. But I, I thought, you know, as befitting your station in academia um and in life, it would be best to let you finish this out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just to say uh, that I uh, am yeah, very proud to work on this volume with uh, younger, more dynamic scholars in different fields. And um, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Oliver raises some great points about like beginning discussions about um, uh, kind of like various approaches to, to thinking about German football history, which in football in Germany is now so ubiquitous as in England. It's so ubiquitous. In kind of media and marketing and culture, broadly speaking, that we 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 don't always step back and critically analyse it. And I think this volume tries to do that for German football, and as we're seeing in and around the Qatar World Cup, uh, any people, academics or otherwise, who stand back and critically think about the sport that we're all mass consuming uh, is to be commended. And hopefully, our volume does some of that.
0: Thank you both, Oliver and Alan. I would really do appreciate it, and I would again encourage listeners to go. Find the book, read the book, enjoy the book, consume the book, uh, and also to work on their passive aggressivism. Because I feel like, as a as a group, we've gotten the really passive aggressive comments into one another. Quite quite lovely uh, in this chat. So again, thank you both very much.
1: Pleasure, Connor. Thanks a lot. <laughs>